from Olympic City and the home of Pikes Peak, this is the Automotive ADHD Show with Matt West. And here we are rocking it on the Automotive ADHD Show, heard around the world as a podcast, but also right here in Southern Colorado on the radio. Three great radio stations. You can catch this show on every single weekend. AM 1460 and FM 101.1, The Answer in Colorado Springs. AM 1400, KRLN in Canyon City and 91.7 KLZR in the Wet Mountain Valley. Matt West here talking cars with you. And I have a loaded show for you today. We're going to talk about how the craziest automotive expedition to the North Pole is currently underway. They've got some seriously cool rigs, some seriously cool cars that they're doing this with. We'll also talk a little bit about the history of automotive expeditions. That's going to be cool. And we are going to uh, dive deeper into the Cummins debacle that I talked about last week. I really ran out of time to give it the uh, full light of day. So we're going to go deeper into that and talk about what it means if you're a Cummins owner. And finally, um, well, we actually have a couple other things, I should say. New AI-powered tech could help BMW drivers use their blinkers. Could. A a big maybe. So (laughs) we'll get to that. And finally, um, California has proposed a new speed limiter mandate And I've talked about speed limiters on this show before, and I have a very strong opinion against the use of speed limiters, and I've got some new data out to back that. So we're going to talk about California's new mandate with that and how that's, um, if it passes, I should say, how that's going to affect things. Uh, And of course, we're going to play your car sounds on this edition of the show. Now, I am back from very sunny, nice and warm. Speaking of California, I was in California last week. I did the show out there. If you listened last week around the podcast um and uh there is some automotive skullduggery going on in the political scene out there i'll say that but i was out there for work and uh i got back to colorado just in time for eight inches of snow because <laughs> that's how it goes it was it was 75 degrees during the day 65 at night gorgeous beautiful palm springs california a- a- and then i come back here and it's snowing and it's it's cold which is you know just just my luck, obviously. But um, anyway, interesting thing I, I want to talk about, though. On the plane ride uh, on, my, on my trip, I had a rather talkative Canadian woman sitting next to me on the plane. And you may have some opinions about talking to people on airplanes. It's kind of like talking to people in an elevator, right? Except it's like a you know, three or four hour long, depending on where you're flying, elevator ride, sort of, right? A lot of people don't like talking to each other on the planes. Uh, on planes in general. But hey, this lady, she was really talkative. She was a really sweet, nice lady from Canada. And and she's from a place called, and I'm going to butcher this. I, I'll give you that heads up. Um, I, I barely speak English correctly, but Awagawa Lawa, Lawa, Lawa Gawa Awa. You know, any combination of those syllables, stick them together and you'll probably get pretty close to it. But but it made me realize something interesting right now. I, I, there are friends of this show who listen in Canada. I see it on the podcast statistics. I know we've got listeners in the uh, great frozen north. Of course, the car scene in Canada is interesting because they get certain JDM cars that we never got here in the States. But also their car scene is defined by the fact that cars completely rust away into nothingness in about six months. So uh, take it or Take it or leave it there. Uh, I I don't know. I'd love to have some uh, car sounds submitted from Canada, though. So if you are from Canada and you're listening on the podcast or the stream of this show, um, 
go send those car sounds in facebook.com slash automotive ADHD. I'll play them here on the show. But this Canadian woman, it brought, brought up some interesting things talking to this Canadian woman, just because I realized Canadian is a weird Canadian ease, I'll say, the language of Canada is very interesting because, yes, they speak English, but they also speak French, and then half of the towns or places are named after some native Indian word um, that neither the French or the English can pronounce correctly, so they just sort of pronounce it both ways. It's weird. So it's English, French, and different tribal Indian. It's really weird, but I did find my new favorite word, and that is skookum, S-K-O-O-K-U-M. Skookum. It comes from uh, the Chinook language, the Chinook Indians, um, and it has uh, a bunch of different meanings. According to Wikipedia, it is commonly associated with the English translation of strong, monstrous, greatest, powerful, or ultimate. So um, if something is, say you've got, say you've got, a, I don't know, a, a thousand horsepower Cummins diesel pickup truck that now needs a recall. We'll talk about that later. But if you've, you've got that, it makes a thousand pound feet of torque. You could say that truck is skookum. It's very skookum. And I, it's just a fun word to say. I, I love it. I, you know, I'm someone who works with words for a living and skookum. That's my favorite word now. I love it. Uh, also, weirdly, the discussion um, in an unautomotive fashion um, ta- turned into with this lady. Apparently, they have this, this principle of green burials in Canada, which is like a burial where you put someone in the ground instead of cremate them. And apparently this is a big thing there, which I'm, I'm not in tune with the Canadian political landscape at all. But isn't that just how we've isn't that just how we've been burying people for like centuries? We're talking about someone who's deceased, right? Not to be grim, but isn't that that that's what we've been doing. Humankind has been doing for centuries and centuries and and millennia is, is burying our dead in the ground. But apparently if you do that in Canada now, you're you're green and environmentally friendly. So I I. Go figure. You know what? You learn something every day. Um, Also, the word skookum. I I love that. So um, speaking of something that could be skookum, I guess, uh, BMW. BMW says that they are going to use AI, artificial intelligence, to help BMW drivers use their their turn signals. Uh, Now, I'm maybe being a little facetious here. This is not actually what they say they're doing, but this is going to be the result of what they're doing. They're updating their level two driver assistance system in some of the new models they have, their 2024 models, uh, the 5 Series, 7 Series, the X5, X6, X7, the iX. You were thinking I was going to say X8? No, no, that would make too much sense. But um, now this basically lets cars drive hands-free at speeds up to 85 miles per hour on you know highways and things like that. Again, these self-driving, I say self-driving in air quotes things, really aren't that. They're still really meant to be used like an autopilot on an airplane. You get up to cruising altitude and you're just flying along and the autopilot flies the plane. Um, same thing with the car. You get up to highway speed, you're on a nice stretch of road, you sit back, you turn the autopilot on, um, and it just kind of takes some driver fatigue away from you. Now, granted, the goal with these self-driving systems is to be fully self-driving. That's, that's what they intend to do. But right now, as it stands, it's not really the case. But that being said, the BMW system does have the ability to do lane changes. If it sees traffic moving faster in, say, another lane, Um, It has the ability to suggest to the driver, why don't we go into this lane? And what's interesting about this new thing that they're doing, though, is they are using AI and image recognition on your face to determine if you look at the mirror, that signals to the car, oh, you approve the lane change. Let's go in that other lane. And that's an interesting way to do it. So, I mean, in a roundabout way. 
it's going to see that, oh, the driver looked in their mirror, um, and then we're going to make the lane change, and then the the computer in the car is going to turn the blinker on and initiate the lane change. The only problem I find with this is you assume that BMW drivers look in the mirror before they initiate lane changes without their blinker. I can tell you, I promise you, they do not. So <laughs> I don't know how far that's going to go. I'm just telling you. I'm just telling you how it is. Um, but regardless, um, that being the case, it's an interesting implementation of this. Now, I don't necessarily agree with this idea for you know, controlling it. I think you should still, if the car says, I want to make a lane change, you should do something else physical. Because if I'm looking in a mirror and the car says, oh, you looked at the mirror, that means you approve my lane change. And then it goes over and does the lane change. No, I'm looking in the, in the mirror to make sure there's no obstructions. There's nothing I'm going to hit if I make that lane change. So the act of checking should not double as the act of confirmation, if you get what I'm saying, right? You're checking before you confirm and it says oh you checked okay we're we're just going now i i do see some i personally see some issues with that but um now also aren't these ai right the whole thing about ai and i've i've been hesitant with ai in some areas i think just reasonably cautious right but um the whole thing with ai is it can learn from other things right it learns and it adapts so if we're training the ai on other bmw drivers i think that just means we're training it to um not use its turn signal or check before it makes a merge. That's all we're doing. The AI is learning bad habits. I'm just saying. Now, hey, coming up, we're talking polar expeditions in cars. We're talking California speed limiters and more of your car sounds right here after the break. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to Automotive ADHD, and it's right here. And now for how things work with an engineer. Rotary engines. Regret. And that was how things work with an engineer. More of how things work can be found at facebook.com slash automotive ADHD. Those car sounds were from the vault from Jackson. He sent those in from the land down under from Australia. Of course, you can send your car sounds into the show. I like playing them here on the radio. Submit those car sounds at facebook.com slash automotive ADHD. You can also do it via email, Matt, at throttlewarrior.com. Now, I, I got to get to this quick because there's so much to talk about here relating to California's speed limiter mandate and i'm gonna get fired up about this full uh full you know advisement full warning here um but this is a big 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 deal in california now granted i was just there for work uh last week and again the weather was beautiful but there's some definitely some things going on that is very anti-car in california and that is namely senate bill 961 now this comes by way of um SEMA, who uh, who published some things about why this is terrible and it needs to go away. And you, you may know SEMA from the, the car show, but the Specialty Equipment Market Association, um, they do a lot of political advocacy for car enthusiasts and manufacturers who make things for car enthusiasts. Uh, SEMA is a wonderful organization. Uh, just throwing that out there. Um, but California says that by the year 2027, um, if this if this bill is passed, right, it's still in the stage of being a bill. It hasn't been passed yet, but they're saying if it is to be passed, the new vehicles after 2027 will be mandated to have speed limiters that give you only a 10 mile per hour buffer 
over the speed limit. So they have to use GPS. They got to use these other factors to know what the speed limit is. And then they can say, well, you can go 10 over. That's that's it. And I'm not here to say you should be speeding. No, in fact, on the contrary, speeding is illegal, right? It is. But this isn't about if speeding itself is right or wrong, because it's already illegal. We already know that. But this is also this is so much more than that. And this goes into a lot of the principles that I've talked about when I've talked about the government mandated kill switch, which is still in effect. That's still like a rule that's going to happen here. You know, when it comes to, you know, drunk driving and the car's got to use AI and figure out if you're impaired and then shut the car off. It's ridiculous. Again, we, we can't have that either, but, um, there are a lot of problems with speed limiters, you know, and getting the fact that Speeding is already illegal out of the way. Again, I'm not condoning speeding by saying any of this, but the problem with speed limiters by putting that in the car and saying you physically cannot speed is a broad solution to a problem that they have yet to actually correctly diagnose the issue, the, the, the cause of the problem, which, by the way, it's not speeding, but I will get to that in just a minute. But it broadly assumes that everyone's a criminal. Whether you're a mom driving your kids to school, whether you're a car enthusiast, whether you're a criminal running drugs, it just assumes everyone is a criminal, right? Um, and there are perfectly legitimate and legal instances where speed can be used, especially in cases of an emergency. There are just times where sometimes an ambulance isn't going to get to you in time or there, there's, there's any number of issues where it would be legal and prudent to speed and you may save somebody's life in doing so um and most importantly this opens up a this opens up a, a door to more legislation that shouldn't be open because for one it doesn't address the actual problem people are still going to manage to hurt others with vehicles through negligence cars are dangerous yeah i get it they are driving is dangerous i mean driving is significantly more dangerous statistically than commercial air travel. Yes, we think flying around in a plane is dangerous. Yes, you hear things about, you know, doors coming off of door plugs coming off of 737s lately, right? You hear about those because they make big news. But statistically speaking, air travel is very safe compared to driving. Um, but the, the thing is, I mean, I've seen people be completely negligent, reckless and dangerous at or even below the speed limit. Like the speeding itself is not the only issue we have if anything we have a um we we have an epidemic of unskilled untrained drivers and that's we're going to get into that but um the thing is what the the door this opens right is you say hey we're going to ban speeding physically it's bear in mind it's already illegal it's already illegal but we are going to physically prevent your car from speeding um and then well people are still going to get hurt people are still driving distracted they're still doing dumb things they still don't know how to drive so they're just going to be crashing but you know it, it there's still going to be road deaths no matter what you do there's still going to be road deaths um and then the you know if you're in this line of thinking that well we got to ban this to fix that uh then you might say well the next logical step would be let's just ban humans driving altogether we got these new self-driving cars they can figure it out. They can drive better than humans. And hey, even if they can't, we'll just mandate it. So the manufacturers just have to figure it out in a short amount of time. Um, and that'll clearly make things safer. And then you will still have problems as time goes on. There will still be things that happen on the roads. And then they'll say, well, why don't we just ban driving altogether? That seems like the safer alternative. Let's just ban cars categorically as, as a whole. Um, so yeah, through speed limiters, you you open up this the this possibility for this other legislation that is just a reactionary legislation to things that are happening and for the record 
Speed is not the problem. Let me say this again. Speed is not the problem. Now, saying speed is the problem, let me give you an, an analogy. And this might sound familiar if you've you listened to the show before. It's not the first time I've used this analogy. But saying speed is the problem is like saying that a man who pushes another guy off of a building and kills him. Gruesome, I know, right? But it's like saying that that guy who pushed this other dude off of a building isn't at fault. Rather, gravity itself is the problem and needs to be banned. I mean, if California could ban gravity, they probably would. But I mean, that's for one. I mean, that's completely removing any accountability from the person who actually committed the crime. Um, you know, yes, gravity ultimately is part of why this guy died after falling off of a building. But wouldn't you say the cause of that was the dude who pushed him off of the building? Just throwing that out there. Um, now, I also you know, need to mention this, and I've mentioned this story before, but back in January 2022, a 2019 Dodge Challenger entered an intersection in Las Vegas at 103 miles per hour and struck a minivan, um, killing nine people. And that's very tragic. I, my, my heart breaks for the families of those involved with that. It's truly terrible. But the NTSB determined that the Challenger's driver was using cocaine and PCP. And that impaired his decision-making. Oh, yeah, and he had a, a history of speeding offenses, too. But look at that last point there. Cocaine and PCP. Now, let's also put this in perspective with how many speeding deaths are there. Well, that's kind of hard to quantify, and, and there's a reason for that. But NSC.org reports that 12,000 people are killed every single year in crashes related to speeding, and that is countrywide, all across the United States, in total. Um, and the legislators pushing for things like this bill in California say that's their primary motivation. We got to stop this problem. Um, now, they consider here, according to NSC.org, quote, a crash is considered speeding related if the driver was charged with a speeding related offense. Okay, so if someone was distracted by their cell phone and they were speeding, but they crashed because they were distracted, they crashed into a static barrier because they weren't paying attention because they were looking at their cell phone, but they were also doing 10 over the speed limit while they were doing it, maybe because they were distracted. That's like, and then they, they said that, that that becomes part of this statistic. That becomes one of this 12,000, uh, this statistic of 12,000 people that are killed, quote, because of speeding. That's not, I, again, I would, using my analogy of a guy pushing another guy off a roof, that's like saying gravity is the reason this person died. The reason they crashed was because of the distracted driving, because of the cell phone. That was the reason for the crash. Yes, speed maybe made the crash worse, but speed sure as heck wasn't the actual cause of it. And it's not like if you drive your car that speeding will literally kill you. The second you go five over the speed limit, your car's just going to immediately implode and, and get sucked into a, into a void, you know, you along with it. And that's not going to happen. That's not going to happen. And I got to point this out. Um, you know, I got to point this out. I'm fired up about this. You can tell I'm fired up about this. But um, California. Um, according to cdc.gov, California in 2021 has had uh, over 10,000 deaths by illegal drug overdose. So 12,000 speeding deaths for all 50 states in total versus 10,000 illegal drug overdose deaths in just California. And by the way, that 12,000, again, it's arguable if those were even actually caused by speeding. Um, and, uh, and so... What, what's the real problem here? I think my point's making itself. Also, 
Just side note, California is number one in the country for those uh, drug overdose deaths. Uh, number one, 10,000 in just that one state. So um, now here are my proposals, though. I'm not just here to complain. Um, you know, the government is telling us that traffic fatalities are on the rise compared to, say, a decade ago. Coincidentally, smartphone ownership has also increased in that same time. But I believe drivers are more distracted than ever. OK, I mean, most of our problems do stem from poor driver training. So you've got drivers who are not trained in the dynamics of what their cars do or anything aside from gas pedal, brake pedal, park, reverse, neutral, and drive, right? Like, like that's it, okay? And then you compound that with the fact that they're distracted by all these different things that are going on. So we already have poor drivers to begin with. The driving knowledge requirements, the actual skill requirements of operating the vehicle are a complete joke even compared to other Western countries. Um, and so I think that if the government were to do anything, right, if they were to step in and do anything, it would be we need to revise the skill requirements for our drivers. I mean, the fact that there are plenty of private driving schools that exist whose reason for existing is telling parents who've got a new teen driver, hey, the state driving uh, requirements are honestly pretty low and they're not going to help your kid be a safer driver. Bring your kid to our driving school and we'll teach him. All these dynamics and these things about car control, uh, traction, uh, weight transfer, maybe even threshold braking, all of these different factors, um, you know, and how to not be distracted, how to be vigilant, how to be um, a defensive driver, you know, have some, you know, situational awareness as a driver. They teach them all these things that you don't get in the, you know, state backed uh, driving programs in many ways. And uh, so, I mean, that's an issue. We need to, we really need to address that. We need to create better drivers. Let's start training good drivers for once and, and see what that does. And the, the speed limiter thing here is just a complete invasion into what we hold dear as, as drivers, as car enthusiasts. Again, not saying that speeding is what we hold dear, but being in control of the car. And you can't open this door for them to just ban everything outright. So, hey, let me know your thoughts on this. Facebook.com slash automotive ADHD. If you're in California, check out a link. I've got a link up there where you can write a representative about this. Don't go anywhere. At the Speed Council, getting things done fast is our priority. We do everything fast from driving, working, sleeping, and eating. Someone help, he's choking. This is Tim. Hello. And by the time this ad is over, he'll have bicycled across the earth 69 times. Nice. Even if our name sounds unfamiliar, you know our work. F1? Pfft, child's play. The world's first supersonic jet? Yep, that was us. Apollo 11? Also us. The fastest animal in the sea? Hell, we even wrote the Wikipedia article. Fast. And we're so dedicated to speed that we've genetically engineered the world's first hyperspeed speed machine. With this scientific breakthrough, you can interact with and download your favorite automotive podcast a whole day early. How's that for fast? Learn more at Facebook.com slash Automotive ADHD. This message approved by the Speed Council and the Church of Fast Things. Hey, you're listening to the Automotive ADHD Show. Matt West here, hanging out with you, talking cars for the weekend. That car sound was from the Vault Stevens Wedding Burnouts. You got to have good burnouts at every wedding. You know it's the law. I'm just saying. You know it is. Send those car sounds into the show, facebook.com slash automotive ADHD. And, of course, you have tuned into the correct 
car show. I mean, the only car show on the airwaves out here, so I, I guess I win by default. So, hey, there you go. Um, now, I got a, a really quick uh, touch touch base on this. Uh, if you're familiar with the Takata Airbag Recall, um, you probably remember hearing about this uh, many years ago now, several years ago. This has been going on for a while, uh, but to get you up to speed on it, if you're not familiar, um, essentially what's happening, well, what has happened is that the um, airbags, uh, when they deploy, um, can accidentally send pieces of metal shrapnel into your face and through your skull um, through the airbag. And um, this is, uh, you know, th this made national headlines when the uh, when the recall came out. And, you know, I mean, tons and tons of cars um, were affected by this. And if I'm not mistaken, this might actually be the biggest automotive recall ever. Um, but reason I'm bringing it up here um, is because just as of uh, about a week ago, Toyota issued a do not drive advisory for about 50,000 2003 to 2004 Corolla and Corolla Matrix vehicles, 2004 to 2005 RAV4 vehicles. And they are saying that it is, quote, urgent that these vehicles be brought to a dealer for repair or replacement. So they, uh, by for free, by the way, they're obligated to to uh, fix this for you and give you an airbag that doesn't kill you, which is, you know, it's tragic, but it's it, that's like the opposite point of the airbag. It's supposed to save you in a crash. Um, and the tragic thing about this is tons of people who uh, were in otherwise survivable crashes have actually died because of it. So uh, reason I bring that up, though, is uh, just in case you happen to own one of these vehicles and maybe you're hearing about this for the first time on my show, bring that thing into the dealer. You'll get it taken care of for free. This is one of those things that it's too, too important to um, to just let this recall slide. A lot of people just let recalls go because they're usually for dumb things, but uh, well, not recalls, true recalls, service bulletins and stuff are different. True recalls are always going to be for a safety thing like this. So uh, you want to bring that in. If, if you've got one of those, just sort of my uh, doing my duty here, doing a PSA for you. Um, and that was just announced by uh, Toyota. Again, a do not drive advisory, which is pretty rare when they use that kind of language. Just saying. Um, it would probably even, I'm not sure if they're paying for people to tow these things to the dealer, but if they're telling you not to drive it, I don't even think they want you to drive it to the dealer, but if you have one of them, you probably should check with them first to see if they cover a tow. They might actually cover you towing it to the dealer because you're still at risk even driving it to the dealership. So um, anyway, there you go. Now, I got to talk about one of the most interesting, um, you know, one, one of the most interesting expeditions, we'll say, you know, ever since the, you know, dawn of the automobile. Uh, people have been driving cars to weirder and further and further places. And we've had cars that have gone to the North Pole before, um, but there is a new polar expedition in the works, the Trans-Global Car Expedition. And that's because they're not just going on, um, they're, they're not just going to the North Pole, in fact. They are going all over the place, um, and they are going all the way basically around the world on almost any continent they can. And this has them starting uh, in New York, going all the way up through Canada, all the way up into the uh, the frozen the frozen north uh, with our Canadian friends, uh, which I was just talking about at the, the top of the show, my, my new favorite word, skookum, from, from uh, <laughs> that part of the world. But anyway, um, so uh, they're going all the way up there to the North Pole, then back down and into Europe, and then they're driving through 
uh, Europe, they're going through Denmark, then they're going into the Middle East, then they're crossing over into Africa, going all the way to the bottom of Africa, and then down to the South Pole. Truly a trans-global expedition. And this is way cool. I'm just telling you, this is super cool. I think just because even... As a car enthusiast, not even as a car enthusiast, I think everybody, especially as a kid, sees these great, you know, explorers, you know, going to these amazing places in the world. And part of, I think, a lot of folks, you know, want to try that, that being an explorer, going places that no one has ever gone before, say with an automobile, for example, traversing land that has never been driven on. I mean, there's something cool. There's something romantic about that in in a weird, in a weird way. And um, their, uh, their route. Uh, right now, they're on the first leg of their route, um, which uh, started in New York and has them currently uh, up in uh, northern Canada right now. I wonder I wonder how skookum their expedition is. So I bet it's very skookum. So <laughs> if you tuned into the show, you won't know. If you didn't tune into the beginning of it, you won't know what I'm talking about. But anyway, um, that's what they're doing right now. And it's really cool. And if you are watching... On video, I encourage you to do so. You can catch the show on uh, Facebook, um, YouTube, and Rumble, and wherever fine shows in this one are found. Um, but if you're watching on video right now, um, I've got some images on screen here of some of the expedition expeditionary vehicles. Uh, because you need some pretty special vehicles in my eyes to uh, to actually do a uh, to do a trip like this. You really need some cool equipment. And I mean, I mean, come on, right? You know, we could talk about the significance of this. We could talk about, um, you know, the, we, we could talk about the philosophical side of things, you know, man's triumph over nature, but I mean, come on, come on, who cares about that? Come on. I mean, really, let's talk about the vehicles themselves because they are really cool. And the uh, vehicles are built by a company called Arctic Trucks. You might actually recognize them because they built the Top Gear Polar Hilux, Toyota Hilux. Um, if I'm not mistaken, they're the same company that's behind that. If you watch the old Top Gear Polar special back in the day now, it's weird to say back in the day, but it was a while ago now. It was it was it was a while ago with, you know, Jeremy Clarkson, Hammond, James May. Um, they drove a Toyota Hilux pickup truck to the North Pole, and that pickup truck was built and modified by these same guys. And they do some really cool stuff with these trucks. I mean, to say their stock is kind of um, kind of an understatement here, and uh, it's very much an understatement. Um, and they've got a couple of ones. They've got some big, big six by sixes. They've also got some modified Ford F-150 um, EVs. So they're, they're being, you know, they're environmentally conscious. They're using the, not EVs. I, I almost made a mistake there. I'm getting ahead of myself. Um, not the EV F-150 because you're not going to charge it anywhere in the uh, frozen north, but they are the hybrid F-150s. There we go. Correction, the hybrid F-150s. Um, but I got to talk about the F-350 6x6 they have, because it's really cool. It's built on an F-350 Super Duty chassis. It's got a 6.7 liter power stroke, turbocharged diesel, makes 500 horsepower, 1,200 pound-feet of torque, um, and it has a uh, extra low transfer case, because you need that, that crawler gear for getting through the uh, huge snow drifts, and it's on gigantic, massive tires. Um, it carries, get this, 141 gallons of fuel. Um, the tires are 44 inches. You, you hear like Jeep guys like, yeah, I got 35s on my Jeep. Yeah, cool. Now, these guys have 44s on there. 
Um, and by the way, you might be wondering how much it cost. Uh, $425,000 off the lot at Arctic Trucks. That's, uh, that's quite a bit. It also has a central tire inflation system. Come on, that's really cool. I think that's amazing. Um, and then the F-150 hybrid variant, um, that one, it's a fairly stock drivetrain. It's got a uh, 3.5 liter V6 hybrid, 35 kilowatt electric motor, 430 horsepower, 570 pound-feet of torque. It carries 51 gallons of fuel and is on the same uh, 44-inch tires. And these are like giant, beefy. They're, they're not just 44 inches tall. They're massively wide as well studded i mean this is really cool stuff i mean this is super cool um and then they've also got these um uh expeditions ford expeditions that are kitted for this and then the weird yemelaya yemelaya y-e-m-e-l-y-a six by six amphibian this looks like a military vehicle i mean this is way cool so hey we're going to talk a little bit more about this aside from me just gushing over the specs of these cool arctic vehicles we're going to talk about the history of automotive expeditions. So this is really cool. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to the Automotive ADHD show here on the radio as well as online. And it's right here. Colorado Springs number one car show by default. This is Automotive ADHD. Hey, there we go. Those car sounds were sent in by Adam. Another great one from the vault there. Nice rotary engine. FD, RX-7. You know, that's uh, one of my favorite car sounds there. So send those car sounds into the show, facebook.com slash automotive ADHD. Um, and I don't imagine an RX-7, F, an FD RX-7 is doing a uh, polar trip, you could say. It's not happening. I, before the break, I was talking uh, about the tremendously cool trans global car expedition these guys are a bunch of explorers now they've got some scientific equi- equipment they're going to be studying you know ice sheets and things in the in the north in the, the north pole and the south pole this is taking them from new york city up to the north pole then back down through europe and south africa and and into the south pole and then back up through south america i mean this is really cool uh, and they're doing um uh, driving, it's a tremendous distance. I mean, literally around the world, you could say. This is about as around the world as you can get via car. And obviously, they're going to be using some, uh, you know, ferries and ships and stuff to get them between the continents. I don't think they're driving the cars through the sea themselves. So that would be that would be pretty cool if they were. But um, anyway, uh, just real quick, you know, and I, I promised we'd talk about a little bit about Cummins uh, and the 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 diesel gate issue with Tum- Cummins, if you want to call it that. Um, but you know, with this uh, really cool polar expedition, yeah, they're doing it for science. They're doing it for this. They're doing it maybe because they're they want to be explorers, and it's really neat. Uh, again, I think the cars are cool. Like that's my favorite part about this. You can have all this romantic stoicism surrounding being an explorer and going to these places, but come on, these cars are just really stinking cool. Oh man, I don't know. I'm a car guy. What can I say? But uh, that being said, it is not the first time someone has driven a thing like this with an automobile. In fact, um, going back to the early 1900s, so 1903, 121 years ago, Horatio Nelson Jackson, this guy, if you're watching on video, I got to I got a picture of him up on the screen here. Um, And he 
wagered that he could drive, wagered $50, that was a lot of money in 1903, that he could drive from San Francisco to New York in 90 days, and there were, at the time, only 150 miles of paved road in the entire country. So Jackson um, decided to take the wheel um, and drive his car with his co-driver, Seawall Crocker, um, and they used a Winton touring car, um, which I've seen this car in person, actually, at the uh, Smithsonian, uh, the history of American, uh, you know, industry and things like that, that section of the Smithsonian, I should say, I was there, uh, last spring and I got to see this car in person and it was really cool. It's amazing to imagine someone driving across the country and how big of a feat this was. This thing had a two cylinder engine making 20 horsepower. Uh, now it was under the driver's seat. So I guess it was technically mid engine sort of is mid engine. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe not how we think about it, but, um, I mean, it is just really cool. And along the trip, they picked up a bulldog halfway through. So when you look at the pictures here, I mean, there's this dog just sitting up front, you know, happy as can be on the entire trip. And it, this is really cool. And he made it from New York or rather, sorry, other way around, um, from basically the West coast all the way to New York on the East coast. Um, and it took 63 days 12 hours and 30 minutes. Now we have the cannonball records that happen, you know, from New York to LA. Um, and you know, I mean the, they're down into the, you know, 27, 28 hours. There might even be one that's a little faster. There's so many people doing that record now. It's kind of hard to keep up with it sometimes, but we're down to doing that in a day and some change, but it took 63 days when this happened and it was a big deal and it cost in, uh, 1903 $8,000. Um, Jackson paid 3000 for the car and he paid $15 for Bud, the, uh, the bulldog he picked up along the way. So, um, and that's, I, I don't have that calculation for inflation right now, but that, that was a fair amount of change. And I imagine this polar expedition that's happening right now is a fair amount of change with all those vehicles and custom vehicles, no less, but the spirit of being an adventurer and an explorer is still there. And it's really cool to see that, that there are still people taking cars, wheeled vehicles, in places where man has really never gone before. Like, yeah, we've gone to the North Pole and we've done some of these other things, but doing that whole trip, that's really cool to me. I think that's really fun. And that does go back to the roots here of, you know, the first cross-country road trip. And we don't think of road trips being that crazy now. You get in your car, you drive, you get some gas here and there, whatever. You might stop for lunch at a truck stop and whatever, right? But back 121 years ago, it took 63 days and it was no one had ever done it before. So there's something to be said about that. That's very cool. Um, I'm very interested to uh, see where this trans um, global car expedition goes. I think it's going to be cool. You can follow along with them online. If you look it up, they've got like a live tracker of where they are. And this is, is going to take a while. They're not going to be done with this for a while. It is going to be quite the trip. So and I imagine we'll see more about it. And I'll probably give you an update about it. Uh, as things go on. So I promised you, though, um, I promised you some Cummins talk. Um, and I mentioned this briefly last week at the end of the show. And Cummins is is in trouble with the EPA. Uh, and they've been fined, I believe, the second highest fine ever levied against a company for environmental reasons. Um, and this boils down. We still don't know the exact nature of the quote unquote defeat device that was used for this. We don't, they say it's software based. So did the truck know it was, you know, was this done maliciously? Did Cummins do this maliciously? Now Cummins supplies these diesel engines with these, these Cummins engines to Dodge to put them into the Ram. So Dodge is inadvertently wrapped up in this, but this specifically relates to the actual engine manufacturer, which is Cummins. 
And um, so, you know, and the, the issue here is that, so the issue is NOx emissions, uh, nitric oxide or nitrogen dioxide, known as NO. X. Um, and that is apparently, they say, the emission that's responsible for acid rain and some other stuff that you don't want. Uh, but it's created during high temperature combustion. As I understand, I was looking into this when nitrogen and oxygen, which that's the air, that's the air you and I are breathing right now. It's nitrogen and oxygen. Um, normally, they don't react with each other. If they did, we'd all be dead. We would just cease to exist. Uh, but when you compress it in an engine like a diesel engine under high temperature, high load, Apparently, I'm not a chemist, but apparently it reacts and creates NOx. Um, and so some, so that's the emission in question here. That is the emission that the EPA is concerned about, that they say the Cummins uh, engines produce too much of. And they say that um, they, uh, you know, they have a software def defeat device. Again, whatever that means. They're not telling us what that means. But the fact is that um, Ram uh, Dodge has issued a recall for them, and the recall only consists of a software update. They're not going underneath there and changing your diesel particulate filter. They're not doing this or that. It's just a software update, which also makes me wonder how how big of a problem can this be? Like we know Volkswagen, you know the original diesel gate as it was known, you know a few years ago, um, deliberately made a system so the car would know when it's being emissions tested and reduce its power, reduce, you know, change the tune, you know, and all these things to produce less emissions when it was tested versus real world, real world driving, which one could say that is kind of scummy, you know, you know, regardless of what you think of the companies, it's like, okay, it's being advertised as this emission level and it's not being, it's not actually doing that. Um, where Cummins is in it though, Cummins has denied any wrongdoing yet they paid the fine. And I find that interesting. So did they pay the fine to um, avoid any further legal battles? That's not likely because the fine was like with the B, capital billions. And I don't think your legal battles would total that. Uh, but they say they did no wrongdoing. So did they have a mistake? Uh, they're not saying this defeat, this defeat device explicitly turned something on or off when it was on an emissions test. Like they're just not telling us what's going on with it. But Ram says, yeah, we got a recall for it now. And you can bring your truck in and get a flash software update and it'll change things and your truck will be fine and it'll be compliant again. Uh, I can't imagine any of the diesel bros who roll coal every day are going to take their truck in for this recall. It's just not going to happen. Um, and I'm, I'd be curious to know what the difference is. I mentioned that on the show last week. If you have a Ram and you've taken it in for the recall, what was the difference you noticed? Did it have less power? Did it not make a difference? You got to let me know. And I don't often talk about YouTubers, other YouTubers on this show, but TFL Truck. Um, which is a channel based right here in Colorado, up by Boulder. They are taking one of their trucks in, their test trucks, to have the recall done and scientifically comparing it. So I'm going to really keep an eye on that and see what, what it does. So anyway, hey, thanks for listening to the Automotive ADHD Show. Don't miss a minute of this show. Lots of great ways to catch it on the radio in Southern Colorado, online, wherever fine shows and mine are downloaded. I want to thank everybody who helps this show get on the air. Sandy, Gary at KLZR, Caleb at KRLN, and Jared who helps me with the video. I'll see you next week when we're talking more cars right here.